Thank you, everybody. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce to the podium Jan Cranel. Uh, Jan Cranel got his actuarial qualifications from the University of Stellenbosch. He is currently the Chief Executive Officer of ALICE. I don't know if you um, pronounce the flashing cursor or not. And a Director at Resco Asset Manager Management. Um, prior to ALICE, Jan co-led the investment consulting team at Old Mutual. At that point, it was one of the largest investment consultants in South Africa, and he was recognized for prestigious group-wide innovation in an innovation award. Um, topic today is Humans in the Loop, New Ways of Working a Deep Learning World. Thank you. Please welcome Jan. Uh, thank you, Matt. I think the reality is I'm probably a bit more comfortable in front of my desk, so, so just bear with me. So, it's an easy audience, but it's intellectually quite a, quite a tough audience. Okay, so, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, my name is Jan. I'm, I work for a company called Alice. Now, Alice is a, just a division or a, a member of the Resco Asset Management Group. So, uh, what we do, we, you know, our competitors would be things, uh, uh, companies like uh, Coronation, Alan Gray. We asset management house, so it's slightly different sort of industry. Um, and in this talk, um, I'm just going to share some stuff, now, some examples of how we've incorporated tech, machine learning, uh, within the sort of day-to-day -day operations. Now, they're not perfect examples, um, and, but it's some, some of the stuff we get excited about, and hopefully it sort of uh, it comes across in, in, in that way. Okay, so it all started about seven years ago. Um, when I joined, I joined the organization, and, and this is a very simple example. It's not rocket science, probably the most basic example out there, um, where you've got a task, and the task is simple. It's take an take a attachment from an email and put it on a network drive. Now, it happens across any business. Like, it's a very, almost like a brain-dead exercise. The problem is people can't scale. People make errors. People don't file things properly, etc. So we spoke to a, a guy, Ahmad, he's based in Delhi, we paid him $50, and he wrote a script for us that says, if the email has an attachment, put the attachment in this folder. And on day one, it's like, why are we doing this? It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't you know, add that much value. But what happened over the, over the last sort of seven years, staff just started adding more, more rows. Um, and even if that's a very simple thing, the minute you scale, something simple, it becomes complex. So, um, and at the moment, like this thing would then run every seven, 15 minutes for seven years. If it fails, it's fine. The nature of this of, um, the, the problem wasn't, wasn't that critical. So um, the problem comes with scaling. So something, um, and it's often difficult to see that initially. When you're busy with something, when you're like, cool, I've built a model. Um, just by maybe a show of hands, who's, who's played with things like Tens TensorFlow, Keras, machine learning models, trained? Um, so you, you might, okay, thank you. Um, so, so you might build a model, you might sort of work on a, on a sort of a hypothesis, and you get to results, and you actually want to tweak something and read and, and sort of do another version of it. Now, even that, let's call it cloning, is a simple exercise. And, and the minute you start scaling up and speeding up, you've got to be able to clone quickly. Quickly. Now, it's a very simple thing, but it introduces friction in the entire pipeline. And this cumulative impact of automating something super basic um, is often like massive. You know, um, um, not rocket science. Not um, so. This is Google did a case study earlier this year on sort of a bit of this detail, the, the path from 
basically that simple spreadsheet to sort of some of the machine learning implementations we have, and there's a link there you can go and check out. But so at the heart of what we do at, at Alice is really the seamless integration, and, and I'm going to show some examples of how we try to do that. It's not perfect, it's sort of work in progress, um, but it's really the key thing is that seamlessly, to, seamlessly um, um, because I think generally people have an up appetite for friction. When I mean friction, doing stuff manually, doing stuff over and over again. Um, so. Firstly, how do we structure this problem? In, 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 in our domain, which is obviously the sort of finance, but it's, it's a typical setup, is you've got the first node is a machine learning. So ML is a domain we talk internally. It's a, it's a machine learning domain. Now, that's where you build models. Well, building models are cool. There's lots of tailwinds out there. Um, the open source community, the stuff that comes out, the white papers, the Facebook research group, the it's just tons of stuff coming out. So it becomes easy to build models. And building models is cool, and you get a nice and warm and fuzzy feeling for doing that. But models need features. So this whole idea of pushing just data into it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't work. You can't. You have to spend time with features. So have you heard of a site called Kaggle? Um, anybody heard of Kaggle? Kaggle is where basically you can run... Uh, it run, organizations can run ML competitions, where, and that's fascinating stuff because they, they often publish the hows and the, what they were doing and busy with. And the key thing that comes out in the Kaggle feedback is 80% of the time is spent on building features. Are you using your mind to come up with domain-specific stuff that you push through these models? You can have fancy models, but your features don't match up. It just it's, having a fancy model is like pointless. Um, features need data, um, and as you scale these things, you've got to have a, like a very solid focus on, 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 on the data side. So we talk about sort of the data engineering side of things. Um, um, so up until this point, it's pretty like clean, and you can you got let's assume you've got nice data coming in. You build cool features because you've got domain experts that help you with, with constructing features. A feature is essentially just a column. Um, input variable. So, in a, in a normal logistic regression, it would be all the sort of all your input columns that you're trying to predict a label. So, you're building these features, and a simple feature might be in the finance side might be price. Now, a model doesn't understand the discovery share price of 130 or 110, but a model understands this change in price. So, taking this price, converting it into a change, i.e., a ratio, is a feature. So, a simple example of that. Um, and at this point, it's all fine, but you've got to remember, like, the machine learning is quite new. People don't understand loss functions and area under the curve and all these sort of jargon that goes with it. You've got to bring that into the team. And in, in, in our setup, it's a bunch of investment professional, professionals, analysts. Um, so we set up a, like what we do uh, call a portfolio construction. And all it does, it takes a set of predictions. The predictions might be something like... Um, is 500 stickers, rank them. 500 stocks, rank them from top to bottom, your top pick to your bottom pick. Now we take that, we convert that into a portfolio. The minute it's in a portfolio, you do attribution, contribution, all the sort of risk metrics around it. You build a portfolio so that when someone looks at that portfolio, he actually understands what's happening in the model. Because the model is by definition a black box. You know, there are tools out there that sort of help with that, but the reality is it's pretty, it's a black box. So bringing it into the domain is cool. So, so at this point, you now have this nice sort of supposedly a team that does a bit of research and pushes out ideas. 
the production aspect changes this game significantly because at that point you've got to scale. You've got to like, um, and what we did there is you added, we, in, in our domain, we added a trading set. And the minute you're building a model with the aim of trading those ideas, it's like completely different. From if the data engineering domain falls over, it's a problem. So all those things are just being super amplified by closing this loop. And the markets are always right, you know, so, um, and so like, you close the loop. So, so, so we, have, we have a nice process, nice clean diagram, it's all like cool, and you've got maybe best practices in all those domains. The reality is it looks like this. It's a myriad of connections and interactions, and, um, um, and you can sort of um, see any of these dots is, uh, is an interaction between the different domains. Because you might say, cool, the machine learning domain has got a new model. Hey, guys, we need a, analytics on that. Cool, we've got a nice portfolio. We've got to send it to trading. And they're all events. Um, and the reality is this is where the complexity sits, not in how cool your model is, how cool the, your features are. It's this, in this interaction between all of it. Um, because another sort of key component is that the process is iterative. You're, you're exploring. You know, um, if you read the Kaggle and the best practices and white papers out there, most of the time it's just to try it out, you know, see if it works. It's not like the best loss ratio or the best um, learning rate or the best sort of activation function or, the, you know, these are the best things for this. It doesn't work like that in, in our experience. You've just got to try it out. And to try out many ideas, you've got to have like a really like a solid, let's call it framework in place. Um, so if we sort of zoom out, out a bit, let's, let's look at this framework and say everything is events. Um, me standing here was Marco sort of, you know, asking me to be here today. That's an event. It's a, it's a very simple concept. It's, we understand that. But again, the complexity is, is Marco's calendar, my calendar, um, tomorrow, today, all, everything that happens around it is complex. But if you, look, if you strip down everything right to the event level, and you say, let's, let's define a framework as just events. And events can, can trigger, i.e., if, if Peter asks me something, you know, I respond to him by, because my, sort of, I can, you know, I've got a name, etc. So it's, that's the event that makes me do something. It's a very simple thing. So, makes sense? It's a bit of an abstract, but it's, um, you'll, you'll see where I'm getting to. Um, cool. So everything is events, and this is um, the, how do you put it, the underlying technology of how we use this is a very simple key value database. It's not, it's not this flashy thing. We got somebody that helped with the visuals, but that's, that's, that's this, this diagram we looked at. The diagram is nothing, nothing super complex behind it. There's no modeling behind it. It's just a, a key value database with a visualization on it that links event to each other. An event might have a parent. So you could have you know, a machine learning model run and it completes, and a portfolio is generated by listening to that. And the minute you listen, you listen to your parents, you've got a parent. And in that point, you then, you then have a dot, a connection between the two. Okay, so it's, it looks busy, but it's, that's the reality of the sort of event-based um, based setups. Um, cool, so now we've got this event database that helps us tying in the connections and monitoring the state of it, and sort of some attributes of it. Um, and there's a nice icon. Um, 
Cool. So let's let's look, let's look at a, a team. This is on the left. You've got the cool couple of individuals. You've got Resco as an analyst. Those are CFA sort of engineers. You know, typical sort of um, investment professionals. And then you've got this global partners at the bottom. Now, let's assume that the events, i.e., the interactions between all those, are perfectly. So, in other words, you've got some sort of workflow management tool or platform. Um, and we use things like Asana. I don't know if Asana is just a uh, open, yeah, it's a, it's a task management tool. But there's tons out there. There's, let's assume that's that's frictionlessly or, or well implemented, and you, you take all these individuals and we stack them in the same room. So every node there, every dot there is like a like a team member that have got the communication sorted. Now there's one particular team member there. Um, I don't know if you can see there. Um, is sort of Alice at the top, which the play with the sort of the name Alice, Alice is another team member that generates events that people listen to or machine Alice listens to other events. Um, and so what the, the challenge with humans can't scale, team can't scale, getting more PhDs in a room doesn't, you know, doesn't always scale linearly within sort of resource because you've got to manage a lot of additional aspects. Computer scale. Um, so we, we sort of play with the idea of, hang on, what if this Alice is like an actual entity in the organization? So now we've got this sort of myriad of a digital organization with, with humans. Um, now our investment team won't even know that Alice is a person or a machine, you know, like that sort of play with it. It's not perfect, it's just a, it's just sort of concepts. Um, and like the, the visual basically can, you can, just a simple example, but you can really sort of drill in to what that, just to zone into, you know, how you want to visualize your, your events is, is really up to sort of each organization, but it's just one way of looking at what is happening between the nodes, um, um, if that makes sense. So that's a bit of communication. There's a live, if you want to click on there, there's a live link of that with some anonymized stuff that you can see sort of what's happening in the public.os. Um, but so in the next slide, I'm going to go through the different domains and just share some of the things we've, we've felt like worked well, didn't work well, i.e. when do we involve a, a human and when do, don't we and how do we sort of blend these two together. And hopefully it's, it's, it's meaningful to you know, some of you. Um, so just starting on the, on the DE side, data, anybody working with data? I mean like we, I don't know if we're more data jockeys than, than sort of investment professionals. Because the data side is hard, so you've got to have decent pipelines, frameworks, patterns in place. There's a ton of tools out there to make it easier. Because um, um, data, data, but machines are pretty good at, at doing that. So once you've got a decent ETL setup or pipeline setup, that thing just flies, and it's cool. Um, don't get involved. Check that. Do your quality checks across it, but don't get involved. The machines can handle that. Now you don't need machine learning to do a lot of these. It's just having a very solid patterns for that. What is, what is tricky is when there's inconsistencies. And this was a, a bond file. Um, I'm sure a lot of you are so familiar with, it, with this bond, uh, bond data file. It's just, I think it's generated by a group of actuaries, maybe, maybe not. But you can see there, like look at the two differences. Um, there, there's a, um, a comma and a semicolon between those lines. So somebody, when they exported the data, says, save as, you know, this is a stuff up for a machine, because it's just like, what? But for a human, it's fine, replace, done, move on. Um, 
And how do you integrate with those things? You don't want this whole entire thing just falls over and what are the processes? You don't want to go through error logs and like this thing doesn't. Um, so the framework needs to have a very clear entry point in terms of how do you, when you say to, to let's, Alice is, is our world, but let's say this Alice is tech, the infrastructure, machine learning, the sort of tech side of things. How do you set up a contract with Alice so that you promise as a user or as, a, uh, as another event that I'll give you a, co a com up file and, um, and if, it, if it doesn't meet the contract, it's a breach of a contract which then needs, in this case, a, in this case, a human inter intervention. So what happens is now you can see this on Alice, like, because it's just an event, there's another like, little blue dot there. It, it's Ubuntu. Anybody knows what Ubuntu means? It's a Zulu word for person. Um, so it's like from, um, so Alice goes through and says, now I don't want to go and watch this thing every day. It's like, oh, there's a blue dot, I've got to go and check it out. Because there's friction. So what, what you have is, is instead of having that, that sort of bit of friction, let's go and, and set up on the, on the human side, you've got an interface. So you've got, you might have a project management tool. We use Asana. Instead of us going here, why not just in my day-to-day, Jan, here's a task for you, there's a stuff up with this file, can you sort that out? Um, and you have your interface, is what we call it, listening to, to events. So if there's a blue event there, uh, uh, in our case, Asana is, would be an interface, would listen to that, and it will like, boom, create, a, create a, um, a, a file. Now, I don't know that Alice created this. It's sort of the, the idea with, with sort of not knowing that you're dealing with but it's really, uh, Jan, there's a, it's due for today, et cetera, et cetera. There's some logic you can build in. But it's just like one of the sort of ways we're dealing with some of those inconsistencies in, in specific data, because you, you prom I promise you, you don't want to go and look at error logs to, to go and find out what's wrong. Uh, you've got to have a proper contract in place. Now, moving on to the feature engineering, for anybody who's played with in this space, it's a ton of options. So. You can have a very simple example. This example has got, say you've got 150 columns. One column might be price, another one might be or the change in price, another one might be the change relative to the 52 week high, etc. So those are 150 columns. Let's say we, we look back, look back would be a time dimension to that. Would be 200, so 200, the last 200 prices, 150. And let's say we wanna do a normalization of we want to maybe do a, a min-max norm on it, a z-score norm, you know, a couple of normal sort of, because it does make a difference. Again, machines can't like deal with outliers. If you give it a, a, a price of a change in price of 0.2% and you give another column a market cap of a stock might be 4 billion, that machine's just going to fall over because it doesn't know how to sort of do the weights. Uh, sort of, uh, um. so, so you've got to like feature engineer and immediately you just get a ton of features. Now, which one do you pick? Do you pick a subset of that? Um, this is where having, bringing your domain knowledge in, in other words, how we would think of how would the analyst look at this data, how would, um, you sort of, and you trim that universe quite down, but at the end, it's, it's still a big dimensionality problem. So what you could do there, and like what, what just haven't worked for us, is you, I mean, there's libraries out there, XGBoost is a, is a popular sort of machine learning library, there's scikit-learn, there's all stuff, all free, completely free, um, that 
you could just distribute or, uh, horizontally. So in other words, you just scale more and more. So if I need to test 100,000 different combinations of stuff, you scale, you scale machines. You, you know, you, you do 100 per machine or whatever. So it becomes a scaling thing. Um, and the minute you can take a problem and break, break it down into the individual components, you can scale it. Uh, so on the left-hand side, you just spin off machines. You spin off computes is what uh, we, we run on the sort of Google platform as an example. Amazon, same, all those things are quite similar. You spin up computes and they crunch the numbers. And then what you do with the results, you push it into a heat map, which we understand better. So the team then look at the heat map and get a feel for, hey, hang on, that's something interesting there. And you can see those, um, um, those sort of darker areas are where there's potential signal. The ones that are not signal, and these are all different combinations of those, of those dimensions. Um, and immediately you can trim down, trim down, trim down, because what doesn't work is throwing these 180,000 features in the simple example to the machine. You just, it just, it's super expensive, it's going to train for days. It just, you, you've got in, almost like engineering problems with memory, data, all that thing. Um, looking at the portfolio side of the domain, again, this is where we take those ML predictions and convert them into a portfolio. Now, we've got a team, these are some of, some of the analysts in the team. Um, um, and they um, they look at they read the paper, they look at research from, you know, it's nothing sort of unusual, a lot of the investment managers, that's what they do, they're analysts, they look for ideas um, they have a investment process now, this is what theirs look like, and it's it's something they're happy with, this is how they graph, this is how they think about stocks etc, so on the, on the top left you've got, um, you basically You've got just sources of information. Then you move on to process, sort, and filter. And that's where like a screening tool comes in. So hang on, now we've got these ideas coming from our ML side. We want their feedback. Because again, we've got to get the domains into the, into, uh, into the space. Um, um, so we want their feedback. How do we seamlessly do that? The last thing you want to do is go, here's a, here's a, a spreadsheet with our top predictions. Please, can you give feedback? Please, please, please. Um, so instead of doing that, we, that's where the sort of play with Alice becomes another individual in their team that just pushes idea. They've got a, what, in the sort of next, next um, slide, they've got a, like an idea factory, which they also run on, on Asana. And you can see there, Alice just pushes ideas into them. So it doesn't feel like system interfering, the loss. Because um, we had a sort of, with Lawrence, we had a discussion on sort of systems and people and like, it's key that you don't get us, you don't, your tech doesn't drive your business. You know, that's it's like a super fine line is you've got to know what you want to do and then use tech to sort of, so tech should not interfere. And this is one way, it's not perfect, it's just an example um, of things we're playing with which, which doesn't interfere. Now the, the, the bulk one, I've got a few more slides left, then it's just on, on the machine learning side. This was a, this was a real luck. Um, I never understood the sort of the term uh, dimensionality problems or the curse of dimensionality is like a big, somebody coined that phrase out there. I never understood that until you actually like try it out. Um, and we spent a few years just like trying to build models and I'll, I'll go through an example here because where this application came from is um, there's, there's, you know, data, our data comes from all over the show, etc. But the one particular thing what, what makes it quite complex is 
interactions between organizations and stocks are not are non-linear you know and typically what you you would find you you find like a this is one of our screening tools where you you've got a list of stocks with columns and you slice and dice it now you could put a nice visual on it it's like sliced them in nice but the reality is you're almost slicing linearly you're doing linear slices and the order of slicing matters um, and and which which you often find the analysis of the feedback is that you do this slicing and you get to the same stocks. You do the slicing and you get to the same stocks. Um, and, the, and the perfect fit for this type of non-linear relationship is just machine learning. I'm like, that's, I hate the buzzword machine learning and everything. Call it stats, call it advanced stats. Or, um, but as for anything non-linear, neural nets are pretty decent at picking those up. You can hide something there like a... Um, a we call it an oracle model or a thing. You can hide it and it just, that machine, a proper network will pick it up. Um, cool, so we've got that. So let's run through just a one simple example of how this thing scales. Um, cool, so now we've decided we need its machine learning models to actually work with this thing. Okay, so, so, so let's say you've got a, like a, a regression versus classification because there's papers out there that you've got to do this or that based on, but the reality is you've got to try it out. So um, to try out two models is simple. You can take a very vanilla laptop with, with sort of not a lot of sort of, you know, you can have matric um, and you can sort of play with and, and pick the best one. That's simple. Um, then it's like, hang on, in, in our domain, we need to pick a label choice. Now I, a label is, is, would be, do we predict the one week return, three week, 13 week, what type of the relative return, the, it's all these things. So let's say there's 10 we want to try out. So you've got 10, you've got 20 models that you want to try out. Um, in scikit-learn uh, sort of world, they talk about you can grid search the thing until, it's, until it works. Um, and you could do this with a laptop, maybe RStudio or MATLAB, in like quite, quite, quite seamlessly. Um, then we go into the more uh, sort of model architectures. These are machine learning, CNNs are a lot being used in the in the image detection. Your phone is running CNN stuff, finding that face in your in your profile. Um, there's there's these typical sort of model architectures. RNNs is, is recurrent neural nets. They're all pretty standard stuff out there in in the neural net space. Um, so cool. You've got 260 models, and in this case, you you you've got you probably need to look at like a GPU. You know, you can't just, like a CPU can't handle this. GPUs are obviously matrix optimized. Um, so, and those things are pricey. Those things are sort of, um, then you scale that up, you say, okay, cool, let's look at the number of parameters. Now you might have heard of like deep neural nets. It's how deep is this thing? How wide is this thing? How many nodes are there? How many connections are there? What's the shape of this thing? Um, there's all these, they call it model hyperparameters you've got to tune. Now you've got to, um, things like learning rate, um, dropout, pooling, all those things you've got to try out. So it scales, and you can see, you get the idea. It just scales up, scales up. You then add activation functions, which is another part of the stuff. Um, and the uh, sort of, just at this level, 960 models, you've got, you probably need to use some proper GPU to actually test it out. Um, and just to give you an idea, NVIDIA V100, which is one of the sort of more recent chips, that thing costs locally, costs 250,000 Rand. So it's, it's like, and you probably, if you want to try these things out, you've got to be able to 
to enter them at a time. Or, um, and that's where the cloud comes in. The, the sort of cloud um, really makes that makes it accessible. Um, so then when you scale up, in this case, more complicated, now you're trying to do fancy stuff that, uh, that models how you look at markets, etc. Yeah, five, okay. Then um, the last thing, up until, up, until, up until there, there's no finance stuff here. There's all, any domain. It could be any, any, any industry. There's nothing finance. The minute with sort of finance, now, okay, cool, we've got different markets, we've got different sectors. It blows up, and the last one is little time T, because markets just change over time. And I hate that T because it just it complicates everything. Uh, it's not like I'm classifying a bottle as a bottle. You, that thing doesn't look like a bottle in, in a week's time. Um, so it really, and this is really where you have to have a framework in place um, where you can iterate, try, 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 try as, as seamlessly as possible. Because, um, and we, we got stuck at sort of this just trying out more markets, more markets, be, you know, and things like cloning a model. I copy a model from one t repo, one um, code base to another code base, felt like friction. You've got to eliminate that, eliminate that, eliminate that, um, because those f small things, like, cumulatively adds up. Um, cool, so, um, and the, the current sort of topical things that are out there is this concept of neural architecture search. Check it out, it's really, um, it's essentially, uh, some guys talk about AutoML. There's a, there's a recent uh, um, a book, uh, a paper from Facebook, uh, the FAIR group, which is sort of definitely worth checking out. They're producing white papers on an ongoing basis. And this diagram is essentially one of the random neural architecture search models. They said, listen, we're not going to have humans building this thing. Let's just randomly generate this nest, nest of ne uh, networks. And that's what they came up with. And in some scenarios, it outperforms even some, some of the state-of-the-art computer, computer vision models. So you, the, the crux of this side is we, we're not good at tuning parameters. We run all these, we, and we, we went through the exercise of running, there's a thing called hyperparameter tuning, and all these tools that you do, and you run thousands and thousands, and you end up with a massive dashboard that you actually, you're like back to square zero, because I don't know what parameter to pick. Um, but if you can bolt that into using these techniques, you suddenly have a bit more of an auto ML going. And lastly, uh, last slide was the community is super collaborative in the ML space. Like, like crazy, just ask and they tell you. It's not like the sort of mine is mine and sort of, you read a white paper and you find a code base, somebody pushed it in, in, in the public out there. Um, there's this locally, there's, there's things like the deep learning and all by the top left. It's worth attending those things to sort of get a feel for what's going on. There's a super uh, nice tailwind in this, in this space. Um, this uh, person, this, this guy there, uh, Matt's mentioned LSTMs. He's, a, he's one of the, he's, a, he's a Jürgen Schmidthaber, which is one of the sort of key per, people behind the LSTMs. Um, this was at NIPS at a conference, and it's like normal people. It's weird. It's like, um, it's, it's like, it's just like um, the, the guy on the top there. Uh, that is, anybody knows him? Jeff Dean. He runs Google AI, and he was like, in the small room, the size of this, with the head of Facebook, the guys there, all just keen to learn and share. So we got to collaborate, and I'm super keen. 
like this is short, like the presentation is now done to share, talk about this stuff, you know, afterwards on the forums, because the, the, the amount of leverage you get from a community that just goes together, and there's, in the investment side, there's more than enough alpha on the table. I'm not, you know, it's, giving away IP is not the thing. It's not like, IP sits in the process, the framework, how I string all these things together, and not in like one, here's my model, I can, I can share my model with anybody, like this, it's not in that, it's in the framework, in the process. Um, so with that, um, yeah, I want to say thank you, and you can contact me there. Cool. <laughs> so any questions? I don't know if there's... Jan, thank you very much for your, your insight and sharing your, you know, the overview of your process. I mean, did, what have you guys managed to actually achieve? Um, in terms of your core purpose, which is as a trading platform, I mean, have you done any comparative studies? I mean, is the speed of execution, where are you getting your edge um, over more traditional, uh, you know, philosophy-based kind of trading approaches? Yeah, I think, uh, good question. I think um, the danger is playing with this stuff and it's all nice and glossy and it like works, but you're not getting alpha, so what's the point? You know, you got to, so the core of what we're trying to do is bring these things together to, to, to get those investment ideas. So within the main fund, we've been trading some of these ideas, and they were on average pretty, pretty. So just from a, hey, guys, next door, we've got some ideas. Look at it, but put it through your process. We're not going to interfere. We just, here's a couple of ideas. Take it or leave it. And some of those ideas have been going through. Um, the other thing that's been like, quite fascinating over the last, I'm talking the last, for weeks now, we've things have really started to sort of, you know, almost gain momentum. Is is with uh, things like momentum. You know, you get all these momentum ETF indices and strategies, um, and we've we had a breakthrough about two weeks ago on on just a vanilla momentum model with a proper neural architecture and proper data coming in. You you beat like, um, and you, you got to check your numbers, check your numbers, check your numbers. But the sort of whole team is super excited about, like, hang on, is this, is this, is this, thing, is this thing working? You know, like, it's, it's weird to think about it like that, but it's, you've got to check your numbers. Because if you, if you do a bit of leakage, we've tried and like, you've got these multi-dimension data going in. You put the answer in one of those matrices in the far right corner. It picks it up and you get performance that will just blow out. Um, you get second order derivative blowouts. So, so that's... Um, so with a very simple model, just price, just looking at price, using convolutions and that sort of thing, suddenly like, hang on, this is, this is graphing. Because, sorry, linked to that is we're building a, a, a process, not a formula that worked. That's just quite important. That's, that's why you've got to simulate the, the, at every time point, simulate the world, what the, what the data was at that point. Um, that makes sense. So I have a question for you, Jan. Thank you very much. It was a brilliant presentation. Um, just in terms of the cloud computing, how do you manage the risk of blowing your budget on the, <laughs> the compute? Because yeah. you know, you're trying to fit a model, and it's, it's taking a little bit longer, a little bit longer, and you know, there must be a point where you go, like, I could kill it. We need, yeah. to, we need to save some money here yeah, and then re go back to the drawing board. Yeah, I mean, we had a, okay, well, a few of those, like, just you get back, like, Doop! you know. It's, um, <laughs> Because it can, and like it's the scaling thing is, um, um, 
So firstly, on I mean, we we run stuff on Google Cloud. So okay, so firstly, you've got to make sure that you use all the products. Understand first, understand the products because you can have two products doing the same thing, and the one is just cost half half of it. And one example, like the real example, was with, um, with some of these models where you do hundreds of hyperparameter tuning on a quite a big, you know, beefy model. Um, and in this, in a, there's no like there's these benchmarks out there, but there's no standard formula, and you've got to try it out. But we ran uh, the, those V100s. Um, sort of maybe eight of them together and a whole lot of CPUs to handle. And what happens then is because you've got in a distributed environment, you've got all these computers talking to each other, you, you get a bit of wastage in these connections between the machines. So what happened is TPUs, I don't know if you've heard of TPUs, tensor processing units. I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's, it, it took that exercise. So Google, um, you get CPU, which is sort of what's on this laptop and most laptops. GPU on any gamers out there probably have got a GPU. And then you get TPU, which is tensor processing units. Um, and just by comparison, a TPU pod can do about 100,000 plus uh, tera floating rate oper operations per second. Um, a, a, this laptop does about 2,000. So two teraflops, two teraflops versus 100,000 plus. So by spinning up a TPU pod, and the beauty is you just you spin it up for ex just a few minutes and you shut it down, and you're just paying for that. And that just transforms it completely. You can't, from a budget point of view, it just makes a lot, lot more sense. So check out TPUs with this sort of stuff. Do we have any more questions? Okay, I think we're looking to close. I'm going to hand back to Ashley for her closing remarks.